Would you pray with me? God, we come to your word because it's everlasting. It is strong and it is true and it is good. Help us to understand from your word this morning your love, your person, your closeness to us. And help us to take another step in understanding how you've made this world so that we won't miss the point. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the last in a series of sermons on the cross. Next week I'm going to be preaching on what heaven is like. And so it'll be a very different tenor than this week. But I want to talk about the paradox of the cross today. I want to talk about how what looks very bad is really very good. And sometimes what looks good in this world is uh, something that we have to be very careful of. I want to talk about how God could use an instrument of torture and death for our freedom. I want to talk about a person who on Good Friday could be called the Lord of the Dance. Now that doesn't make much sense to us. The man who is stuck on the cross, who is paralyzed by the punishment he's receiving, still being called the Lord of the Dance, the dance which is a symbol of joy and freedom and wellness. It doesn't make much sense, but it's exactly what God wants us to understand. He wants us to understand the good and the redemptive purposes of suffering. I'm going to tell you three things this morning. First of all, I want to just speak to you a word about suffering and, and uh, just a few ideas of even why we have suffering. Secondly, I want to talk about two traditional non-approaches to suffering that all of us take that don't work. And then thirdly, I'd, I'd like to just bring out a scripture about five ways that we can make our suffering benefit God as well as benefit us. How we can bring glory out of what is horrible. First of all, let's talk about suffering. Obviously, you know, the Bible tells us that much of our suffering is due to sin. Not always our own sin, sometimes other people's sin, but it is a, it is a consequence of our sinfulness. You know that there was no suffering in the Garden of Eden. And so we assume that because there is suffering in this world, there are also people who are suffering because they've done wrong and they're reaping the rewards or reaping the benefit or reaping the, the tragedy of that. Now, let me be quick to add, Christians assume that not all suffering is because of sin. We are not Easterners. We do not believe in the doctrine of karma. The doctrine of karma basically says that if you suffer in this life, it's because you did something wrong in the last life, and therefore you're paying for it now. It's just held over. We don't agree with that. We believe that there is much suffering that is inexplicable and not attributed to anything that you are doing or anything anybody else has done to you. Secondly, 
We also agree that there is suffering so that we can change. You know and I know that most of us will not and do not change until the pain threshold has been crossed. Most of us don't even change from bad to good, let alone good to deep, until we're in enough pain. We're just not built like that. Pain is a caution to change. Physical pain is a caution that there is something wrong. Something needs to be corrected. Emotional, spiritual suffering is the same thing. Many times, something needs to be corrected. And so God gives us the ability to suffer so that we also take the clue that we have to change. Thirdly, there are simply unexplicable and um, natural disasters that happen in this world. We can't attribute to anything. We don't know that they're from God. We don't know that they're from Satan. We don't know why they are. Floods and earthquakes and so on and so forth. We don't know why they are. They just are. Sicknesses of all sorts. And we suffer with those. And we don't know why. But there's something in even those that God can draw his glory from. And somehow God's sovereignty can be shown in all of those. Now, before we move on to the next topic, I want to tell you this about suffering. I don't want you to get this wrong throughout this sermon because I'm going to be talking about what good suffering is. I don't ever want you to be satisfied with suffering or to think that God is the originator of suffering. Suffering is a horrible invasion of this world from the other side. There was no suffering in the original creation. There will be no suffering in heaven. So therefore, God allows suffering. He does not author suffering. He simply can use it. But we must never be satisfied to live with it and not try to either gain victory over it or to eliminate it. Because it is not of God. Now, let me tell you the two ways that don't work that we usually take traditionally. One is a stoic philosophy of life. And that is to say, hey, suffering is part of the world. I'm going to ignore it and get on with my life. Now, that's not all bad, you know, because some of us become rather whiny. And we say, oh, my heart life's so hard. And we could do with a little bit of a stoic attitude. But you have to realize that the stoic attitude is wholly attributable to human strength. And even if you can ignore all the suffering that is at hand, it has still beaten you. Because you have, you have taken at least part of its pain and you have not replaced it with anything good. Even if you're strong enough to be emotionally steel, it has still won in your life if you simply choose to ignore it. I'll never forget the first time that Josh decided he wasn't going to cry anymore when we spanked him. And he, boy, I'll tell you, when, when he makes his mind up to do something, he does it. And so I can remember whacking him you know, and when I whack, I whack, you know. The kids always used to say, 
What'll happen if I do this? Well, you get a spanking. Well, who'll spank us? You know, is it going to be you or is it going to be mom? Be me. Okay, I won't do it then. You know, just. Boy, I whacked him and he did this. You know, just went stoic on me. And he said, boy, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. Well, that was the last time I ever spanked him. You know why? Because the point is not to inflict pain. The point is to have correction. Now, even if you are stoic enough to endure the pain and not to cry out, you've missed the point. Because the point is correction. Now, the other way, the other philosophy is the Epicurean philosophy, thousands of years old, and that is we deal with our suffering by offsetting it with a uh, a rather uh, uh, large amount of pleasure. That is, we will run from our suffering or be rescued from our suffering by going into something that is more fun or trying to get something that is even better and therefore ignoring our suffering by going into something, not, not by our human strength, but by human pleasure. For those of you in recovery groups, you will know the term anesthetizing the pain. That's exactly what we're talking about. We sedate ourselves with something that makes us feel good. Even when we can do that, though, suffering has won. You know why? Because you have had, but you are still running from it. Now, here's the point of the cross. The point of the cross is this. That there are certain ways that God wants us to meet suffering and beat suffering. And to use it for good. Not to waste it. Not to let it go unanswered. But to use it for good. Let me give you five of those ways. Number one, God wants us in the suffering of our lives to learn not to run. To learn not to escape. You know, in Matthew chapter 27... Jesus is hanging on the cross, and people are saying, if you're the Son of God, come down off the cross. Escape. Run. Get out of there. And further it says, in the same way the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we shall believe him. One thing Jesus taught us on the cross was not that he didn't have the ability to escape. He had the ability never to go there in the first place. But he had the ability not to run because there was something greater that would come out of his suffering for all of us. And so he hung in there, literally. That is so important and it is so rare in these days not to conjure up psychological terms or biblical references that will permit us to detach and run. I had a lady that came into my office this week and she has been having marriage problems for months. And she came in perplexed. She said, I'm mixed up. And I said, what are you mixed up about? And she said, well, you know, this church and this, another church 
has been praying for months for my marriage, for just an opening to reconciliation. And so I got a call recently for, for just that. I mean, my, my husband was saying, well, you know, if this and if this and if this and if this, maybe we can make a go of it. And I said, well, it seems to be an answer to prayer, doesn't it? Well, yeah. And I said, well, what are you mixed up about then? She said, every Christian I know is telling me not to go back. Because if I go back, they say, I'll be a doormat. I'll be trapped. It won't work out. I'll get crushed. And I'll be disappointed again and again and again and again. So therefore, don't go back. She said, you would not believe the scriptures they string together to make me not to have to go back to him. Now that mixes me up. Here we've been praying for one thing and God answers and all of a sudden God's people are saying, oh, don't go back and face that pain. It might not work out. Well, that mixes me up too. Now I know that there are some very sick and masochistic relationships that go on. And I'm sure God does not want an exercise in masochism. But I also know this, that if God tells us to do something, the point is not whether or not it's going to work out. The point is whether or not we're going to do it. The point is not whether or not you're going to feel good about it. The point is whether or not we're going to do it. If it's in God's word and we're clear on exactly what we need to do, then whether the matter fails or succeeds is none of our business. Whether we follow what God says to do is everything of our business. Yes, I am the same way. When it comes to a tough situation, I look for every escape possible. I look for supportive friends who want to rescue me because they love me, and that's their natural tendency. Our natural tendency is always to rescue one another from pain. And yes, I look in the scripture and I can string scriptures together you wouldn't believe. And make it come out looking real good. But common sense would say that's not what they're saying. That's not what they're saying. I'm avoiding the obvious because I'm avoiding the pain. Jesus taught us not to run. Secondly, Jesus taught us by hanging on the cross, how to be purged, how to let suffering purge us of everything of this world so that we could present to God a pure spirit. Father, into thy hands I commend what? My spirit. Not my plans, not my justice issues, not my this, not my spirit. He, had, he was purged of all of the things which he rightfully should have. Some anger about what's going on. Some ways to fix about what's going on. He didn't present any of those to God. He just gave his spirit to God. One of the finest, neatest guys I ever knew in my life was a guy named Frank Dixon. He was in my first church. He was an old black guy. And he had a wonderful voice, you know. But that wasn't the neat thing about Frank. The neat thing about Frank was Frank had people around him wherever he went. 
everyone loved Frank Dixon. And you couldn't figure out why, because, because it wasn't that he did anything for anybody else that anybody else couldn't have done. It was just this man's spirit. There was something about the purity of his spirit that just drew you and just wanted to, you just wanted to stand around him. You know, on a cold day, you could just kind of warm your hands. He had that glow. And I remember going up to him and as his pastor, wanting to find out about his life. And so I'd sit down with him and I'd say, Frank, tell me what it was like growing up as a black kid in a very racist part of the country. For a long time, he wouldn't tell me. But then, you know, as he learned to trust me and as he learned I wasn't just digging for the info, you know, he told me. And I was really taken back. And I was furious. And here's a man I loved who was getting hurt. And I was furious, you know. And Frank would keep going, no, 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 no. You don't understand. They were just doing what their ignorance made them do. All my life, God's loved me. All my life, he's taken care of me. And I'm glad. And I tell you what, there was not a bitter bone in that man's body because God had used that suffering to purge out everything natural and normal that he had. And when he walked around, Jesus Christ was wall to wall in his heart. It was something to behold. Now look, when we suffer, our first reactions are always natural. I want to get them back. I want to win. I want to find some justification. I want to find some justice in the world. Let me know if you ever reach an answer that way. Because I've never found anybody who did. Suffering is for purging. It's for purifying. There's many, many scriptural. You know, 1 Peter uh, 1, 7 talks about the fire and how the dross is burned off. And then there is praise and glory and exultation at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's what it says. Read it. In John 12, it talks about the pruning of those old things that won't work. So that the things that do work, i.e. the things of the Spirit, are more fruitful. That's what suffering's for. If you're hurting right now, let me ask you this. What's it burning off? And what's it building up? How are you being purified? How are you becoming more Christ-like? Has there been enough suffering for that to take place yet? Thirdly, suffering's not just for dying, it's for multiplying. You know, when Jesus hung on that cross, and when they killed the entity who was Jesus Christ, all they did was crush him into about 100 million bits that could go into everybody else's heart. Dying is not just to get someplace else. Dying is not just to get into heaven. Dying is to spread your influence. When you die in this life, when you let God have the control, when you, when you suffer unjustly, 
Something happens in your life that increases the potency of your influence a hundredfold. Jesus Christ said, I've got to go away so that I can send you the spirit. The spirit of whom? The spirit of him. The spirit of Christ. And if I send you the spirit, you'll be my witnesses unto the uttermost parts of the world. And he said, greater things than I have done will you do. And he was right. More people are healed today in the name of Jesus Christ than he ever could have done as an individual. More people are preached to. More people are cared for than he ever could have done as an individual. He died in order to multiply. Now let me ask you this. If there is an area in which you're suffering, how is God multiplying you and your effectiveness? Because that's what he's trying to do. How effective do you think Johnny Erickson would be as a healthy person? She's a sweet, learned individual. But when they wheel this gal who's a quadriplegic on stage and she talks for five minutes, I can't, I can't, my eyes won't stay dry. They won't stay dry. Her suffering is a testimony to the depth of her faith. And her body has been broken and given courage to people who are trapped inside a crippled body the way a healthy person never could have. Her influence has been spread all over the world because of her brokenness. When God breaks you, it's not to make you die. It's to make you multiply. It's to increase your power, to increase your influence and your effectiveness to his glory. Fourth, it is important to know that suffering is a tremendous reminder that this isn't where we belong. This is not our world. We weren't made to live here. (laughs) We were made to live with God. And we're just here for a little bit of time, little bit of a time. And this world was never meant to be pleasant. Why? Because it's not our home. We're strangers and aliens down here. You know that bumper sticker you keep seeing, you know, I'm just visiting planet Earth. You know, you're just visiting planet Earth. You're just down here for a little while. You could get beamed up at any second. And it'd be great. It'd be great. Suffering is a reminder that we don't belong here. This is not our group. You are the citizens of the kingdom of God. You're, you're members of the household of God. You don't belong here. So don't get too comfortable. And for everything that makes you uncomfortable, I want you to say, well, it just goes to show I don't belong here. Not my home. My home's coming. There's a guy in a hospital right now. Some of you know him, Dan Hoskins. The very last stages of cancer. So painful right now that they've given him enough morphine that he can rest peacefully and he's not conscious anymore. About a week and a half ago, I visited Dan, and Dan is one of those guys 
Most of you have never known. I mean, he was always the last one in, the first one out, one of those guys. Just came in to praise God a little bit and then leave. Had a tremendous relationship with the Lord. I never knew this until I came to know him. I was just pastor for, you know, four years, never knew him. Then he got the cancer, and then we came to know one another. Dan has a wonderful life on this earth. Wonderful life. And by the way, yes, we have prayed for his healing, and God has said no. And so it's time. Now, Dan has a wonderful, <laughs> tremendous reservoir of friends who love him like crazy. He has great kids who would do anything for him and respect him. He has a wife that is crazy nuts in love with him. I mean romantic after 30 years. They spend all their time together. They're, they're, they're best friends. If anybody ever had reason to stick around, Dan has reason to stick around. And a week and a half ago when I was talking to him, he asked everybody to leave. He wanted to talk to me. Because you don't talk this way in front of your family. He's saying, look, I know everybody's trying to keep me alive. And that's all great. And I'm trying to hang on because, you know, they... But I want to go home. I want to go home. I've been an athlete all my life. He's only in his mid-40s. I've been an athlete all my life. And I want the spiritual body that's going to let me run and jump again. I want to go home. I don't belong here. All my family knows the Lord. I will be with them all again someday. And I don't want to leave them. And at this point, you know, the tears start rolling. But he says, I don't want to stick around here. This is not where I belong. How wonderful it is to come to a time when you say, I was just visiting anyhow. There's a tremendous freedom in that. And lastly, suffering is God's way of reminding us of his closeness as well as his instructions. You know what? <clears throat> as long as our lives are going okay, we just try to do what's right. You know, give me, tell me what's right. Tell me what would be the best kind of life to live and I'll try to live it. You know, I mean, that's, that's what I'll do. But we miss God's closeness in that journey. We really do. But the cross says something much more than instruction. It's much more than suffering so that you can follow in Jesus' steps, as, as uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 says. There is something about the nearness of God that never becomes evident to us until we need His nearness. And we need it most in our suffering. When I was a young preacher just starting out 20 years ago. I remember going through seminary and taking all these counseling classes, you know. My doctorate was, uh, was partially in that field. So I'd taken class after class. I'd been a chaplain in a mental institution. I'd, I'd, I knew, I was pretty well trained as a counselor, as a pastor. I stink as a counselor ordinarily. And I, and I still stink as a counselor. You guys know that, that have been to me. 
But at this time, I was really in the role. I knew all the stuff. Was, was a pastor of a little church starting out. And this couple had their only son die. Tragic, tragic accident. And they were absolutely demolished. And so here I go, young, not dry behind the ears, pastor, I don't know how, I'm scared out of my robe. <laughs> Walk into this funeral home and there's this couple by the casket, little casket. It was a little kid. And uh, they're, they're just crying their eyes out. And I go in, and I do everything right clinically. I say, well, you know, they, you know of course, they, they start with the question, why? And, and all of us are trained not to try to answer that question because it's not really a question. It's an, it's an exclamation of pain. I mean, people aren't looking for answers. Any answer you give them, they'll, they'll find full with. I mean, it's, it's just a cry that says, Christ says, I'm hurt. And so I go in there, and, and they're just cry, sobbing and crying, and, and, and I'm trying to clarify feelings for them. Well, you know, how do you feel? Do you, does it make you angry? Does it make you feel, so you feel lost, you know? <laughs> Great. Bring Bob Newhart in, you know? I mean, it's... I mean, there was, we were getting nowhere. There was no relaxation of the pain. There was no peace in the oppression. I kept waiting for God to move. And, and finally he did. Walked in as an old man, as a part of that congregation. This guy had known these people practically all their lives. And they, they knew how much, he knew how much they loved this little boy. And here comes this old man in this room, in this big funeral parlor. And he walks in the door and there's just big tears streaming down his face. Well, I'll never forget it. I'm not going to make it through this. I'll never forget it. And he goes up. He hugs him. And they all start crying together. And I'm standing up there looking at him. And he's rocking back and forth. And finally he says, you know, God lost a young son too. He must really be hurting with you. And I wish you could have seen the look on their face. It all clicked. And it was all like, God does know what pain I'm going through. He really does. He does hurt like I hurt. He's been through this before himself. I mean, everything came together. It didn't take away the pain. But it just ushered in the closeness of God. Suffering does that the way nothing else can do. Because you know what? He didn't run away from pain. And when you're hurting now, guess who's closer to you than anybody else? Guess who understands more because he's been through it than anybody else? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for not running away so that we could know that you are truly a God who loves us where it counts.
Help us not to run away. Help us not to run from you. There are people probably in here this morning that have been running from you for years because they don't want what they really want. Help them this morning to have the courage to come to you and say, God, I do want you, and I want you seriously. For whatever you say, I want you. And those of us who already love you, help us like Jesus not to run from what is hard, but to be purged of everything but your spirit by it. And to feel your closeness. And to be multiplied for your influence and for your glory in this world. We don't know how. We just know that you can do it. We pray that you don't waste this suffering and that we don't waste it. But that you use it and you bring good out of it. The greatest good that you can. In Jesus' name, amen. And so one of the things that God wants to teach us is that there isn't any, quote, natural disaster, unquote, that can have dominion over us. No matter how much suffering is involved in that, God always has a way of calming us and working something greater through that. But for all of this and for all of the good reasons of suffering, I want you to remember this. God allows it, but God does not author it. Suffering is an invasion into this world. There was no suffering in the Garden of Eden. There was no suffering in paradise. There will not be suffering when we get to heaven. It is not a part of our natural state. It is an invasion. It is a war against us. And therefore, we need never to be satisfied with suffering, but always to face it in a way that we can use it. And we need never to try to ignore it and to say that, well, it's just a part of the natural world. That's just a part of the world we live in. Yes, that is true. But the consequence of that is to let suffering have victory over you. And God does not want that. God wants to have you to have victory over suffering. Now, let me just tell you two ways that people have always dealt with suffering. Two schools. You'll recognize them immediately. One was the school of the Stoics. And the presumption was, it's part of the way it is. So what you do is you ignore suffering. No matter how much you hurt, you try to avoid it by just going on with life and saying that's a part of life and reconciling yourself. I remember the first time that uh, one of our sons decided he would not cry no matter how hard we spanked him. You know, he just... God, he said, this is it, boy. I'm taking a stand against this stuff. And so there he was, little guy. And I whacked him. And boy, when I whack, I whack. And he just looked up at me and did one of these, see? And the message came across, you know. There is, I realize this is a part of life. But I'm not going to give you the satisfaction <laughs> of watching me cry, you know. I'm going to grin and bear this, you know. Well, I decided that that form of punishment wouldn't work anymore because there was no change in his life. I mean, it became a contest between 
you know, hurting and not hurting. And that wasn't the point of the punishment at all. That's never the point of punishment. The point of punishment is always change into a more constructive style of life. And so if you are stoic, I mean, you can be the bravest, most courageous person in the world and say, no matter what happens, I'm not going to hurt. But that's not the point. See? So in a way, suffering has won. It has taken a part of your life and you have not replaced it with anything better. So avoiding and ignoring suffering is not the answer. The other answer comes from the Epicureans, Epicureans, and that was the school that said, you kill suffering by going after greater pleasure. If you can get enough pleasure, you can, you who are acquainted in in recovery groups, the, the term is anesthetize, you can try to dream your way out or try to um, um, sedate the pain. But see, that's no way to do it either because, uh, again, suffering has won. You are going after a false answer to something that will not cure or not be constructive. You will never get better. Suffering still wins. It still steals. On the other hand, Jesus showed us on the cross exactly what suffering was for and why God allows suffering because greater good can come from it. Let me just tell you five things that he showed us on the cross. Number one, he showed us that staying and facing a problem was better than running. If you will look in Matthew 27, verse 40 through 42, let me just look at it with you. It says this, People were, you know, jabbing at him and they, and they were saying, Look! He's up on the cross. You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we shall believe in him. Well, it was clear, was it not? For, from what we know afterwards that he could have come down from the cross. I mean, if you can go through a doorway without opening the door. If you can, if you can, if you can uh, st- uh, calm a storm, you can, go, you can come down from the cross. That was no problem. So there was a legitimate way for him to escape and even give some glory to God. We will believe in him if he escapes. But he wouldn't do it. He stayed and he faced the pain because he knew in facing the pain, even if it cost him his life, God would work something greater than his own escape and his own ease and his own healing. Now, this is not a popular word today. I had a gal come in this week who's been having marriage problems for months. And we've all been praying for the marriage to be reconciled. And she was contacted by her husband as the door opened to reconciliation. And she came in very puzzled. And I said, great, as I answered a prayer. And she said, I know. And I said, well, why are you puzzled? She said, because every Christian I know is telling me 
Not to go back to that man. I'll be a doormat. I'll be this. I'll be that. I'm going to have to, you know, always run around with a ring through my nose for the rest of my life. All of them are giving me scriptures on how to get out of my marriage scripturally. And that bothers me. Well, that bothers me too. That bothers me too. Because we have this mentality, and however we couch it, of the worst thing we can do is to sacrifice ourselves. The worst thing we can do is to face the pain, and maybe it won't come out all right for us. Now let me say to you that there are some legitimate instances in which you can be acting masochistically in a relationship. And I do not believe by any stretch of the imagination that doormatism is a part of God's plan for any relationship. But let me also say this to you, that if being obedient to God means costing your life, isn't it worth it? What are you in this for? What are we all in this for? Our own pleasure? Our own being lifted up and valued and, 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 you know, all of these good things, all of these good things are being used as an excuse to cowardice. Let's not face the pain. And I'll show you scripturally and I'll show you how psychologically you don't have to face it. And you can go out feeling okay and never getting hurt. Folks, the point is not whether or not we're hurt. The point is whether or not we have faced what God has put before us and we have done what we believed he wanted us to do. That's the point. And so what Christ showed us on the cross by not coming down was obedience unto death. And as much as it hurts me to say that and as much as it hurts me to watch it sometimes, that's the point. Number two, one of the other things that Christ showed us was that God uses suffering to eliminate that in us which is not eternally valuable to him. When Jesus was on the cross, what did he have to give to God? At the end of everything, what did he have to commend to God? Father, into thy hands I commend what? My spirit. My spirit. God had used that punishment to purge from him all of the natural reactions, all of the bitterness, all of the claims of justice that were rightfully his. There are many places in the Bible that talk about a purging process. Um, Hebrews 7 talks about the father disciplining his children and... and uh, um, uh, John 12 talks about pruning and about how important it is to be purged of the things that won't work, that aren't any good anymore, in order that the things that do work, that is the Spirit of God, have more fruitfulness. In, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, it says, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What God is doing to us in our lives by our suffering is he is purging away those things that won't work. And trying to, to, to preserve that in, us, that in us which is eternally valuable. In our first church, Becky and I knew an old black guy named Frank Dixon. Boy, he was the neatest guy I have ever met in my life. The, he, you know, he was a wonderful singer, but more than that, everybody loved to be around Frank Dixon. He was the most encouraging, delightful, um, giving glory to God person with his whole life that I'd ever seen. That I'd ever seen. Well, somewhat into my ministry, I went and I continued to question Frank about his background. And Frank didn't want to talk about his background very much, but, but eventually he began to trust me. And he told me about everything that he had been through as a black kid growing up. And he had been growing up as a black kid when, um, when it was the worst time for black kids. And what all had been done to him because he was black, living in a very racist section of the country. But yet there was not one bitter bone in his body. I could not find anything that even would have a harsh feeling or a statement of justice for these people. There was absolutely nothing there. And my only conclusion was that God, through his suffering, had burned out of Frank Dixon everything that was normal, everything that was natural, everything that was justified on a human level was gone. Because here's a man who had walked with Christ through the worst kind of injustice. And he had come out a spiritual giant. God does that same thing for us. We are not naturally for maturity. Not our own maturity. But God uses suffering for that if we will hang in with him long enough. And let the stuff that will not work go away. All of the feelings of rage, all of the feelings of getting even, all of the feelings of, of, you know, somehow coming out on top of other people. If you stay in this life long enough, if you stay in suffering long enough, you'll realize you never do get on top. Those feelings never result in victory. And when you come to that place, and when you can love as God loves then you've come out on top. And that's what God wants for us. Thirdly, God wants us to know that death is not just for dying in order to transfer into a more pleasant realm. Death is for multiplication purposes. In John 12, it talks about a seed falling to the ground so that it can multiply. When Jesus talked about, lo, I will be with you always. When Jesus talked about waiting to wait and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will, be, you will all be my witnesses. When Jesus talked about greater things than I have done, will you do? You know what the one thing it required? It required him to stop being a solitary entity. So that he could be multiplied in his spirit through what is today hundreds of millions of believers. And indeed we are doing greater things than Jesus ever did. In his name. More people are being healed. More people are being fed. More people 
are learning about God's love than ever learned from Jesus directly. And what it took was for Jesus to be broken. There is something in breaking itself where God multiplies the influence of the person. Let me ask you this question. How much influence do you think Johnny Erickson would have as a well person? Maybe some. Maybe some. But for those of you who have ever heard her or seen her, when she walks in as a quadriplegic, walks in as a quadriplegic. (laughs) That's where I have her. I have her already healed. When she comes in as a quadriplegic, And she can just roll out with the love of God and how blessed she is. Boy, tears just come down my face. There is something that has happened to the influence of that woman because she does not demand. She has simply used her brokenness to praise and glorify God. And nothing can touch that. And so God uses that to multiply. Just as he used it on the cross, when they killed Jesus, all they did was break him into billions of pieces to fill up human hearts. That's all they did. They never killed him. The fourth thing that's important is suffering reminds you this isn't your home. (laughs) You don't belong here. There's a guy in the hospital right now who finally has enough morphine in him that he can't talk anymore. He's sleeping, he's resting. In the very last stages of cancer, his name's Dan Hoskins. You can pray for him and pray for his family. I could go into a whole sermon here, but I won't. Just let me say this. About a week and a half ago, I was having a conversation with Dan. And he has a wonderful family life. And if anybody leaves anything in this world, Dan is leaving everything. He has friends that are intimate and love him. The outpouring in all of his illness has been unbelievable. He has a family who admires and respects him. He has a wife who who just loves him like crazy. Crazy, wild, romantically in love with her husband after 20-some years of marriage. Maybe 30 If there was anybody who had any excuse to stay in this world at all, it's Dan Hoskins. And Dan looked at me about a week and a half ago and he said, Now look, you and I know I'm not going to make it. We had prayed for healing. And we had prayed in faith. And we have just come to the discernment that this is Dan's time. So when he came to that, he looked at me and said, You and I both know I'm not going to make it. And you and I both know how much I have to live for and how, how sad I am to leave my family. But you and I both know they're believers and they're going to be with me someday. And I want to tell you something. I can't wait to get up there. I can't wait. People keep trying to keep me alive. And inside I say, okay, I'll go through this for the family and I'll go through that for the family. And I'll last as long as you need me to last. But I can't wait to get a new body. I can't wait to jump and to be able to to sing 
And to be able to bow in front of the Lord, I can't wait. That's my home. You understand? Suffering brings us to the point where we recognize where home really is. And that's good. Ephesians 2 says we're strangers and aliens in this land. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, members of his household. That's where we belong. And if we feel uncomfortable in this world, it's because we don't belong here. We weren't born to stay here. And suffering helps us again realize that this is just a brief interlude in our real life. And lastly, suffering helps us understand and cling to the closeness of God instead of to his instructions. All of the time that we are alive, we want to follow God's instructions if we believe in him because we want a good and fruitful life. And that's okay. But some of us are so wrapped up, so wrapped up in doing the right thing that we forget just how much he loves us and how close to us he really is. But I tell you what, when you're going through suffering, you haven't got much else. I mean, you try the instructions for a while, but if your suffering hangs on, you go, there's got to be something other than these instructions. And there is. And his name is Jesus. And he went through what you're going through. One of my first years in ministry, I was a a pastor of a small church. And someone's child was killed by accident. And I went into that couple very nervous. I'd not been through that a lot. And what do you say to a couple who has just lost their only son? And I went in there rehearsing to myself all of the things not to say. I mean, I'd been trained well enough not to run in, and when they ask why, not to give them answers, because people don't ask why for answers when they're in pain. It's just a cry of pain. It's what you do. And how to help them clarify their feelings and so on and so forth. So I go in here. And of course, this, this couple's heartbroken. And I, and I go in and I said, so how you doing? And then they started pouring it out, you know. And so I, you know, I, I was doing as good as I could, you know. But we weren't getting anywhere. I mean, I didn't feel any relief. I didn't feel any sense of, of you know, the pain being lifted or the peace coming in and So I just determined to stay there for as long as it would take and talk as long as it would take until God moved. Well, God moved. He walked in the door as an old guy in the church who had known these people for years. (laughs) And this old guy comes in, tears streaming down his face. You know, I'm doing everything clinically correct. And here come this guy, tears streaming down his face. And he walks up to this couple and he puts his arms around him. And they just started crying together. And I'm sitting there going, what do I do now? So I just watched. And finally, this old guy said, you know, God lost a son at an early age too. I know he's hurting with you, remembering what it was like. And I wish I could tell you the look on this couple's face when he said that. They felt the company of God. 
You know what? When you're hurting, he's hurting with you. He knows what it is. He didn't walk out. He didn't escape. He wasn't rescued when it was time to hurt. He went through it so that he could go through it with you. And that's what suffering's for. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for no magic tricks. Thank you for not being a God who knew it all and did it all at the exclusion of feeling. Thank you for loving us and teaching us that love means suffering. Thank you for being close to us and teaching us how to stretch out our arms even if it means our own death. Would you multiply our suffering? Would you see to it that it doesn't go to waste? That somehow in your Son, Jesus Christ, you are glorified through the way we approach our suffering? Because if that can happen, God, then we can love you back just a little of how you've loved us. And we will be glad for it. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.